Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody. How are you? How are you doing? I can tell you that this week has been very busy for me. I have been running a lot of errands in preparation for my trip to Bolivia. I am originally from Bolivia, South America, and every single year I travel to Bolivia to spend time with my family, catch up with my friends, have good laughs, eat a lot of food, and sweat, and sweat, and sweat. December is one of the hottest months. It's in the middle of the summer, and it's hot, and humid and when you're walking in the streets you're breathing this hot hot air so of course you need to take a lot of naps and you need to drink a lot of coffee and you need to save your energy to do things in the evening because during the day it's so so hot that you cannot do too much Around 6, 7 p.m., the air cools down a little bit enough that you can start enjoying the evening. So I am so looking forward to this trip. And I am also excited to chat with some people, interview some people, and capture their stories about dealing with anxiety, perfectionism, procrastination, worries, As you know, one of the things that I try to do in the podcast is to share with all of you how anxiety, fear, worries are part of our day-to-day life. Every single human being is wired to experience all types of emotions. And I think that it's very important to capture people's stories in their day-to-day life and see how they deal with anxiety and also share with all of you how Behavioral science, in particular acceptance and commitment training, can help you to gain unstuck. So as you can hear, I'm very excited about this trip and I'm also excited for what that trip could do for the podcast. Speaking about perfectionism, I am excited to share a conversation I had with Dr. Diana Hill. She is a clinical psychologist and she's the co-author of the ACT Daily Journal. If you have been listening to the podcast on a regular basis, you may remember that on episode 34, I interviewed Dr. Debbie Sorensen. Debbie and Diana, they are co-authors of the ACT Daily Journal. And if you haven't checked it out yet, I will highly recommend you, you do so. 
because you will get a lot of daily nuggets to practice psychological flexibility and to handle effectively all those uncomfortable emotions that we all experience moment by moment. In this conversation, I chat with Diana about how she practices acceptance and commitment therapy in her day-to-day life, how she understands and thinks of perfectionistic behaviors or striving behaviors, and how she practices yoga and meditation in a way that complements all her act practices. I had to say that it was very special to have this opportunity to chat with Diana because she really practices what she preaches in her daily life. And if you listen carefully, you're going to listen Diana's tips to practice acceptance and commitment skills in a very actionable way. At the end of my conversation with Diana, I tried one of the exercises she recommended And I have to say that it was really neat to see how these tiny, tiny practices can help us to get better and better at handle all the noise that shows up under our skin. Before we jump into the interview, I want to make a couple of announcements. These are very, very important announcements and you will see why. So here's the first announcement. In January, we are opening the doors for our online class, Act Beyond OCD, because this is a massive, massive endeavor. We can only run this class twice a year. So Act Beyond OCD is a live cohort-based online class, which basically means that week by week, I am going to meet with all participants teach ACT skills, teach skills based on acceptance and commitment training and exposure response prevention, apply for OCD. And together, we're going to practice all those skills. And I'm going to be troubleshooting and addressing any questions or struggles they have while they are putting into action all these ACT and exposure skills. If you have been spending hours and hours in your head dealing with obsessions, if you have been feeling overwhelmed and scared and you don't know how to tackle OCD, if you are feeling confused about how to handle a compulsion or how to handle an urge for reassurance, take a look at our curriculum. Our curriculum is based on the book that I wrote, Living Beyond OCD, which basically lays out a full program based on acceptance and commitment skills and exposure to tackle OCD. You don't have to spend hours criticizing yourself for having obsessions, for having sticky thoughts, for having thoughts that have nothing to do with who you are. I'm super excited. Last year, we had such a great experience running the class, so I can't wait to do it again. For people who are interested in ACT Beyond OCD, the website is www.actbeyondocd.com. This year, we're also opening a track for teenagers. So ACT Beyond OCD is going to have two tracks, one track for teenagers and one track for adults. Again, the website is www.actbeyondocd.com. 
That was the first announcement. Here is my second announcement. My second announcement is that with a lot of humbleness and gratitude, I want to announce that my book, Acceptance and Commitment Skills for Perfectionists and High Achieving Behaviors is available for pre-order. So I put a lot of heart and a lot of head and a lot of hands in this book. This book is a very special book because I finished writing it in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of one of the most challenging years in my life. And I did the best I could to do what was important, what I could do without pushing myself into the edges. And this book is part of that time. I think the book has a very, very special flavor because instead of telling people who are prone to high achieving actions to drop their standards, to stop caring, to stop engaging in perfectionistic behaviors, this book is all about nourishing, cultivating, nurturing, and harnessing the power of perfectionistic actions. So it's a very different message. And the reason why this message is special is because I know firsthand how it feels when we deeply care about things, when things deeply matter to us and we want to get them right. We want to get things done with good quality. We want to do things that have impact. We want to do things that reflect our work, our thoughts and who we are. It makes sense. When we deeply care about stuff, of course, we want to get things right and perfect. And of course, we're going to do what's needed to accomplish that goal. That is not necessarily the problem, in my humble opinion. I think the problem is when we don't step back and check how those behaviors are working in our life, in the relationship with others, in the relationship with ourselves. So many times I know how the clients that I work with and I know in my life how many times people feel unseen because it's so easy to tell someone you should drop your standards, don't pay attention to details, you should just click the send button in that email and let it go. You should let go of those details. The challenge is that it's not so easy to let go of those expectations we have for ourselves when we deeply care about things and when we know that hard work pays off. So what I have found in my personal life and in my work as a psychologist is that it's not about turning all those behaviors to level zero so they don't exist ever. I don't think that's possible. Being prone to high achieving behaviors is more about learning the skills to distinguish when you are playing the game of doing things right and perfect all the time and when you are playing the workability game that checks what works, when it works and how it works. So this book is all about that. You are going to learn different micro skills to be who you want to be, do things your way without losing purpose and meaning. 
if you are curious, and I hope you are, you can go onto Amazon and check the book. It's called Acceptance and Commitment Skills for Perfectionism and High Achieving Behaviors. Okay, I think I am done with the announcements now, so let's jump onto the episode. I wish you a great week and see you next week. Diane, it's such a treat to chat with you this morning. How are you doing so far? Ah, great. It's a beautiful day here in Santa Barbara. We get a lot of fog in Mm -hmm. in the summer, which actually I really appreciate because it slows you down a bit in the morning and Mm -hmm. it's just beautiful. I'm hoping that today I can learn a little bit more about you, um, how you are practicing acceptance and commitment therapy, and we can chat how that relates to high achieving behaviors and striving behaviors. I know you have been working on that. So, but before we go there, I'm wondering if you don't mind sharing a little bit, what are you doing these days? Oh gosh, well, I think I wear a lot of, a lot of hats and Part of my, I think, my uh, intention is to have my work reflect my values and have my life reflect my values. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm a mom, mm-hmm. and I have two young children, and we live in sort of a sort of a bit of a homestead here. So, a little bit of a background of me is that I, I love to make things with my hands. We're beekeepers, and we grow a lot of our own food, and that's a lot of. Uh, sort of how I practice, you know, with with my children, just being with them. Mm -hmm. And that sort of act process of being, it slows me down. And it also takes me out of striving because you can't plant a seed and expect it to grow (laughs) right away. There's patience and there's uh, flexibility with that. And I also have a practice as well as a podcast, Psychologist Mm -hmm. Off the Clock, that I co-host. And I, I teach a lot through different places. So I teach through Mindful Heart programs, I teach through Inside LA, and a lot of my teachings are really at this intersection of contemplative practice, yoga practice, with third wave therapies like compassion-focused approaches and acceptance and commitment therapy. I appreciate you making time to chat with me because it sounds like we're very busy. We're doing a lot of teaching and raising two beautiful human beings, so that's a lot of work. Um, If I can step back a little bit, how did you arrive to study the topic of striving? What's the story behind it? Yeah, well, there's there's sort of a, a, a story that's very old and a story that's a little bit newer. So the the old story is that I've struggled with striving for actually much of my life in terms of unhealthy striving. Sometimes people associate the word striving with good, like we strive to, you know, be a better team or be a better person. But for me, striving was actually something that was very linked to perfectionism and productivity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would hit this wall where I would find that I would be losing my true nature. I'd be losing what really is important to me in my attempts to do more and produce more and be a high achiever. Mm-hmm. And it actually came to a real head for me in my own life with the development of an eating disorder really early on when I was in um, high school and into college. And during that time, I went and actually studied with Thich Nhat Hanh oh, in wow. Palm Village. And... Uh, the slowing down mm. and finding that the peace in just being in the present moment was one of the first recognitions of I don't need to do to be able to feel satisfied in my life. But at the same time, I had this like uh, inner fire 
about, and I want to help people and I want to do things and I actually kind of like doing things. So how do I, how do I do things without being caught in the cycle of it being sort of an avoidance of my own anxiety? And that's where I went to pursue graduate school and in finding ACT in graduate school, it really opened up a sort of some ideas and uh, practices for me of, of how to how to walk a middle path of where I'm pursuing goals that matter to me, but not hooked by the attachment of ego or the or being hooked by my own thoughts that can mm-hmm. hook me along the way. Mm-hmm. And part of that has been also my yoga practice. I uh, pursued a, a um, I went to a yoga ashram while I was in graduate school, I actually took time off from graduate school and studied a yoga ashram and now really finding myself integrating all these pieces. Such a beautiful journey. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I have bazillion questions. I'm going to slow down. I think many times in my experience when people are striving for perfectionistic actions or they are high achievers, there is so much thinking and thinking that comes and the push to do more and it's never enough. And many times we try to understand that by thinking more and unpacking thoughts. But I am curious in your experience, if a person is dealing with high achieving behaviors today and they are listening to that podcast, this episode, what would you recommend them to practice or to pay attention to based on your yoga trainings? Well, in yoga, there's there's a principle called um, Svariyaya, which mm-hmm. is about self-study. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I do with folks, whether it's through an angle of yoga or through an angle of act, is is to start to take a look, like take a step back and let's look at this thing. And let's look at this thing as uh, a cycle. And is the cycle in moving you in the direction of how you want to be moving in your life or is it moving you away from your values? So mm-hmm. the cycle of striving can be a healthy cycle or an unhealthy cycle, right? So so a, an unhealthy cycle of striving can be a cue. So every cycle, behavior cycle has a cue, behavior, and a reward. Mm-hmm. So it could be a cue of some of those thoughts and some of the common thoughts that can hook us or can hook people that are stuck in striving are things like, I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I am worried that others are getting ahead. I'm not working fast enough or long enough. There's not enough time for self-care. Um, I need to optimize my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my value is dependent on what I produce. So we can see all those thoughts that can kind of hook us. Yeah. And yoga practice, it's, it's being, and I would say also with ACT, it's being aware of those thoughts. And if you can observe it, you aren't it. So if I can observe that I'm having a thought, then I am not that thought. And then the second part of that cycle is now, what am I going to do? And when we're hooked by our thoughts and we listen to them and then we act on them, maybe our unhealthy striving cycle is if I'm worried that others are going to get ahead, I'm just going to start running faster. Or if I'm, there's no time for self-care, then I'm not going to schedule, you know, something at the end of my day that is actually nourishing to me. Mm -hmm. So we can look at the cycle of what is it I do when those thoughts show up? And then we can look at the cycle as how is this rewarding to me in the short term, but may not be really lining up with where I want to be pointing myself, like where I want to be going in my life. Sometimes, even though we can map the cycle of striving or the cycle of what drives high achieving behaviors, there is a lot of body noise that comes. There is a lot of that we're feeling and sensing that we are rushing through. 
we have a hard time staying with the physical sensations that are coming up. If I am not worried and thinking what's next or how much time this is going to take me, I am left with this very, very yucky sensation in my body. And what would you recommend for a person that may rush to those experiences by engaging in a lot of thoughts, by thinking more about what's next or how fast I can do that or how well I need to do this? So one of the very simple practices from yoga that I do a lot for myself and also work with my clients on is the practice of one eye in and one eye out. And this is how the practice goes, is you start with two eyes in. So if you can even do this with your eyes open, two Mm -hmm. eyes in, what is happening in my body? And it's not two eyes in what's happening in my head. It's actually physically what is happening in my body right now. Where do I notice tension? Where do I notice openness? Where do I notice sensation? Like what is the sensation of the anxiety or the urge to do more? Mm-hmm. bring awareness to that without changing it, but actually noticing if you bring those two eyes in, you start to notice that it does change over time. <laughs> it just naturally will change. So we start with two eyes in of getting into our bodies and that practice of getting into our bodies. We need to do a lot more because there's so much that's happening that in, in our world that pulls us out of our bodies. And many of us are, are trained to not actually be in our body. I work with a lot of clients that's like, I don't even know what's in there. It's like a wilderness I don't even know if I'm hungry or if I'm full or I have to use the bathroom or if I'm anxious because I'm so much in my head or I'm moving through my life so quickly. So we start with two eyes in Mm -hmm. and then we can practice two eyes out, which is what is happening around me. What do I see? What do I sense with my five senses, right? And that's very much sort of an awareness that it's not just about you. It's you in, in, you are in a world. There are other people around. Even some of the neuroscience research around like looking at the horizon activates parts of your brain that are more allocentric, more interconnected mm-hmm. than egocentric. So we can do two eyes out. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell? What's happening in the here and now? And then the practice of one eye in and one eye out is Mm. can I stay attuned and connected to my body in this moment and connected to the world around me and what's happening in the present moment. And all of that is, is an embodiment practice. It's not a heady thing. It's a, it's a, it's a state of sensing the world inside and the world outside. And it's actually that flexibility of being able to respond to the present moment, what's happening around you, responding to yourself in the present moment that is very helpful for folks that tend to rush through. Because more often than not, folks are in their heads thinking about the next thing. They're not in the present moment of the world around them or the present moment of the world inside. I absolutely love that response. If I can recap a little bit. So practicing two eyes in and out, and then one eye in and out, and just really slow down and watch what's happening in our body and what's happening outside. I I am definitely going to practice that today. And I think for people listening the interview, I will highly encourage you to try this. Thank you for sharing that. That's a beautiful tip. If I can step back a little bit, going back to striving, one of the things that I'm curious what are your thoughts and your experience with this is we know that many times we get so busy pursuing the next thing because we are understanding ourselves as being defined by the things that we do or by the things that we have of how well we perform. It's like our identity is defined by that stuff. 
how would you work with that? What's your experience with that? Yeah, well, I think one of the real, that's a real hook for us, right? This is, and what you were sort of alluding to in, in ACT, the ACT world is the self as, as content and seeing ourselves as, uh, I've heard, you know, different versions of this, but Pema Chodron has talked about sort of ourselves as the self-improvement project that we're trying to get to an improved version of ourselves at some point in the future. And we're fed that. I mean, we're fed that by a, a lot of external messaging uh, around that what you produce is, I mean, even just we're watching the Olympics right now, you know, athletes are a perfect example of that. You know, you're just, you're only as good as your last gold medal. But we do that subtle, aggressive self-improvement to ourselves. And so one thing that I find really helpful are practices that help us feel more interconnected and, and connected to a part of ourselves that is completely independent of what we do. You know, mm -hmm. if we think about our bodies, you know, our bodies change over time. We have a body when we're four that's different than our body when we're 44, than our body when, our when then we, we are 94, right? And at each point in time, we could like struggle with our body, like there's something wrong with our body at that, at that mm -hmm. time. But there's also a, a, a thread of us that has stayed with us when we're four or 44 or 94 that's completely independent of our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And that is true, I would say, for other aspects of ourselves. That sort of, that you, you are in process, you're not a work in progress, you are a life that is in process. Mm -hmm. And connecting with, you know, I have a meditation teacher uh, that's talked about like the back of your heart, connecting with the space at the back of your heart that remains sort of constant and whole and interconnected. Mm -hmm. It can be very helpful with that. Mm -hmm. For the lay audience, for the person walking on the street, if you were to recommend them uh, an exercise or a micro tip for them to tap into that, what will be your advice? Yeah. One of the favorite things that I love to do, this actually comes from Steve Hayes, the co-founder mm -hmm. of ACT, but I've modified it, is to make a list of I ams. Mm -hmm. So things like, and, and make them to be good qualities about yourself and qualities that you don't like about yourself. So like, I am good at cooking. I'm terrible at math. I'm a great mom. I'm a terrible, you know, whatever, tennis player. So you make your list of I ams and include in it some of the ones that actually are painful for you, that mm -hmm. you believe to be true, those I ams. Mm -hmm. And then after you make that list, go through them and put, the com put a little comma and write the word sometimes. Mm -hmm. And consider the possibility that sometimes that is true and sometimes that is not true. Sometimes I am good at math, sometimes not. Because one of the things that happens is that we develop these self stories about who we are and we hold on to them and we believe them to be true. So we can get a little bit of flexibility by putting a sometimes. I am this sometimes. And then ultimately, if we were to do this little exercise, we'd go through and just circle the I am part. Mm -hmm. Because it's just I am. Mm -hmm. I am, I am not these things. Mm -hmm. I just am. It's a beautiful tip you're sharing. I think one of the hardest things is to learn to hold that many experiences we have and the many concepts we have about ourselves coexisting with each other without defining us. And I think that requires practice. So I, I love what you shared. If I can switch gears a little bit, you and Debbie published recently an ACT journal. 
I recently talked to Debbie and I shared with her that I love how you guys structure a program, basically. Do you mind sharing a little bit what drove you to collaborate in that writing project? And I and I imagine if you asked Debbie this, she would have a different story than the story that I have, right? <laughs> we all construct different stories of our experience. It's like two children in the same family. They have a completely different story. So uh, so for the, the story for me, yeah. is that Debbie and I were friends first. We we co-founded this podcast and we are practitioners of ACT and moms and uh, friends that have been talking about how we use these practices with our clients, but also how we use them in our own lives. Mm-hmm. And then we do our best to try and do it with each other, although it's it can be a mess. I mean, it can be just sort of a messy process, right? And so... Along the way, we started thinking about how ACT has been so focused on, um, path, you know, sort of like through therapy methods, or you have to get it through a therapist, or sort of like hidden behind mm-hmm. these closed doors that you have to jump some hurdles to get to. And then it's helpful not only for folks that are struggling with anxiety or depression, but it's helpful for all of us. It's how it's it's an aspect of how to how to flourish in our lives, and we wanted to make it something that is accessible. Mm-hmm. That you that it's broken down, like how do you eat an elephant one part at a time, that you break it down into these little tiny practices that take 10 minutes or less a day, mm-hmm. that's personalized. Yeah. And that it's also in the context of we were really um, intentional around the use of story. So it's put into this context of us telling these little short little vignettes about mm-hmm. act in our life and metaphor so that it's relatable and you feel like you're not alone in doing it. So the journal is set up in this eight-week program where you go through the different core uh processes of psychological flexibility and hopefully you're flexible with yourself in doing it and you're not like rigidly I have to do every single day in this order (laughs) but that you you take it on you pick it up you start in the middle you start at the end doesn't really matter uh but that you just start to to try these things on for yourself and and see if they're helpful and that's our real intention is that they're helpful for folks I love to hear the behind the scenes of a writing project and I have to say that you guys did a beautiful job making the art skills accessible, relatable. If a person is listening to this interview and they ask you if there is any particular chapter they should focus on, do you have any recommendation for them? And I know it's a very hard question because we want people to read from A to Z, right? (laughs) What I've been saying to folks is start at the last chapter. Oh, wow. Because what I find, well, a couple of things. One, by the time someone's getting to the end of writing their book, they actually are writing well. (laughs) (laughs) At that point in time, Debbie and I had our flow going and we were like, this is this is the best chapter of all of them because we've been practicing this skill for a year now and we've gotten better at it. Right. What I've been finding folks are doing is that they are getting rigid about I need to do this every day and then they're getting down on themselves. Yeah. When they don't do it every day and then they're just stopping at chapter two. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no, don't stop at chapter two. You're just getting started. So I would I would suggest start with the last chapter, because if you do one chapter or you do one page and say this is the only page that you're going to do, it'd be wonderful if it's an impactful one. And if I can ask a little bit more, the title of the chapter is Flexible Integration Hive Mind. 
Do you mind giving a little bit of a preview of what the chapter is about so people listening to the podcast can get a sense of what they are going to be reading? Yeah. So hive mind comes from me being a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. And I have these lovely beehives down here. The reason why we became actually bee guardians is because I care a lot about um, the environment and supporting our environment. And I take a lot from the environment. So uh, when you name a hive, mm -hmm. there's 50,000 little bees in there, but you don't, you, you call it one name. So our, our bees, our, our hives are like Norman is the name of one of our hives and Garcia, right? We often name them after the people that we've, that we've gone and rescued these bees from their home. We actually go out and rescue the bees and bring them back to our house, but um, which is a whole nother process to talk about. But the idea of hive mind is that there's all these little bees that have different jobs, but they completely depend on each other. They work together as a hive, as, 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 a, as, a, as a completely eusocial species. And when we think about the ACT processes, they work together in mm -hmm. that way as they all have their independent jobs. Like you can be present and you can focus on your values and you can practice, you know, perspective taking, but really they work together to create a flexible mind, a mind that, and, and being that is more um, aligned with how you want to be in the world. Mm -hmm. But then you can also think about these processes and hive mind as not only you as an individual, but ultimately, I really believe in act and in, in process based psychology is not just for the benefit of you. Mm -hmm. It's that we could work for the benefit of a greater whole. And when we have hive mind, we start to not only think about, I'm doing these practices for me, I'm doing these practices, practices for the greater good and that both can coexist. Mm -hmm. So that's that chapter. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I didn't know that you're into rescuing bees and I would love at some point to chat more about it. It sounds like an amazing adventure. Um, I have to say that, I very much appreciate the idea of reminding all of us that we are connected, that we live in connection with others and with the environment around us. And I think these days after going through a very hard pandemic, we need reminders that everything is much better when we can connect with others. So thank you for all the work you put on the journal. If you were to have a chance to have a cup of tea or coffee with any person, you want who will that be and why i would say my grandfather mm -hmm. who has passed um he struggled a lot with mental illness and uh, i remember at one point when i was a young girl him sitting down with me and he he was suicidal much of his life all the way into his 80s and him passing me uh this little figure to to like give me mm -hmm. and i remember him saying to me I know that you suffer and I hope that you feel, you never feel as bad as I felt, but I hope that you know that you're not alone. Being able to connect with someone that understood me in that way was really powerful. And I also saw the brilliance of him. He was an artist. He was uh, very loving and an incredible father and an incredible grandfather. So I'd love to spend more time with him. It sounds like he was an extraordinary human being. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me. Very, very much appreciate listening all your insights, tips, and wisdom. Um, I hope to have you again back. Thank you. It's been a delight. 
Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingwithsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon.